Welcome to Third Space, the podcast that aims to fill the yawning gap between the Christian church and secular culture. In particular, in this global crisis that we're finding ourselves in and all the implications for that, uh, we're looking at what it means to live in wartime at this time. I'm Steve McAlpine. And I'm David Robertson. And in this episode, we're taking a look at worship in a time of war. Now, I realize that even straight away that some people listening to this will, will almost want to go to war because of the use of the word worship. What do we mean by that? Uh, we even have things in the Christian church, believe it or not, called worship wars. So I think it's good at the beginning to get it pretty clear what we're talking about. So um, let me ask my uh, Perth compatriot, who um, I'm not even sure of his answer to this, so he could spoil the whole podcast by getting this wrong. But Steve, what do you understand by the term worship? And keep it short. Okay. Oh, there's only 15 books written about it last year. Um, I think it's your posture towards something that you value and, and what that looks like. That, that's all I can say at the moment, but you're going to prove me wrong in this worship war, I think. No, that's true, because we can worship, I guess, different things. But I'm, and when I think of it in terms of the Christian church, I think I would summarize it by citing the shorter catechism, man's chief end, or if you want to translate it into modern language, humanity's purpose, main purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think worship in its widest sense is what we are for. Worship is what the church is for. There are different aspects. So serving others is worship. Caring for the poor is worship. Singing songs of praise is worship. Telling others about Jesus is worship. But how do we do that in a time of war? Let's listen to this wonderful song from the Gettys, which really speaks of the church at war. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of Well, Dave, why did you pick that song in particular? I listened to the lyrics and they're pretty militaristic and I listened to the sound and it, does, it sounds more like a modern day worship song, but there's a bit of a dissonance going on. Why did you pick it? Well, um, it is a modern day worship song uh, and something that we've sung often in church. Uh, it's a song that I thought would be familiar to lots of people, but maybe it isn't. But it's typical of the Gettys. It's uh, musical. It's very um, Celtic in the best kind of music. And it is also very biblical in its language. Now, here's the problem with the language. It speaks of, you've got words like armor and army and fight and so on. And when we're talking about the church at war, I think for some people, there is a dissonance. You're right. There is a dissonance. They think crusades. They think, uh, you know, people marching to the First World War trenches with the blessings being told, with God on our side, uh, that, you know, the bitter, bitter, brilliant Bob Dylan song with God on our side. So I, I think, though, that we're speaking here of a different kind of spiritual warfare. We're not talking here about 
Christians taking up arms, much as some Christians might want to want to do that. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about a different warfare. I mean, for you, does the, is the militaristic language something that you're uncomfortable with, or do you feel that you can live well, with no, it, no, but you'll always yeah. have to explain it? Yeah, look, I, I am not uncomfortable with it at all in the sense that uh, Paul uh, looks around himself and uses military armour language uh, from the culture to describe the spiritual battle because that's a, a visual, a visible expression of what's happening invisibly. But I think you're right. Um, there's a sense in which those words have literally been hijacked in certain settings and you can probably go to a few websites which are written in Times New Roman <laughs> with lots of flames on them which talk about church at war in a more militaristic sense with an AK-47 at the top. But so, so that leads to the question then, what are some of the wrong ways to do or to be church in this current war, this uh, pandemic which has been described as a war? Yeah, I... I can give you lots of examples of ways that are wrong just from my personal email box. So I, I got sent something recently, which was somebody saying that COVID-19, do you know that COVID is a six letters? And if you add up all the numbers in those letters, it comes to 666. And, you know, uh, there's this kind of emphasis on the demonic and, you know, it's all a plot of the devil. Um, then I think you can have this very defensive posture, this very uh, defensive in, in, a, in a wrong sense and also aggressive in a wrong sense because it's out of fear. So I think that some of the key things in this are that we recognize that the war we're fighting is, first of all, as Paul says in Ephesians, it's not a war against flesh and blood. It's a war against spiritual powers. And without turning that into seeing demons around every corner that we go or in every illness. It's still the case that we need to recognize that we're talking at a completely different level. That's why I'm a little bit uncomfortable with militaristic language. I love it if people understand it in context. I don't like it if they think it is us suggesting not just picking up an AK-47, but rather, you know, hammering people with words or regarding other human beings as enemies. I don't think in the church we have to regard any human being as an enemy. Um, mm. Maybe, I don't know, what do you think about that? Mm, that's, that's interesting because as you were saying that, I'm thinking uh, in the church we had the worship wars, but that was the least of our worries because I yeah. feel many of us feel caught up in the culture wars and it feels like we've just put the tools of one war down and picked up the tools of another war. But in the song itself, it's, it talks about our foes being crushed. Is it possible to <laughs> get the wrong idea of who our foes are from singing that song? Yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, I've been tempted to pray, Lord, smash the Amalekites. Um, and I could, I could uh, uh, maybe name certain people. Do you know this? I have prayed at times as well. Psalm 10 talks about break the arm of the wicked man. And that's just a biblical way of saying limit his power. And I've done that. I would, I I would pray for that. But our foes, I think of foes in terms of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and especially in, in this time of crisis, our great enemy is death. The last enemy is death. And no matter how Christians may glamorize death, I do see it as an enemy. And I think Christ has defeated that enemy. And, and that for me is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Another enemy is sin. And Christ has defeated sin. And then another enemy is Satan, obviously, the, the, the devil. And I, Christ has defeated the devil. And then, and then I'm looking at myself and I, I see 
my biggest enemy being within. But then the Bible tells me that God is greater than our hearts. And Christ has, if you like, defeated me in order to set me free. So the foes, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would even regard this disease as a foe. Uh, not a personal foe, not a demonic foe, but just simply an illness in a world, in a broken world. And I pray that the Lord will defeat it. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting talking about those foes. And obviously we've always had opportunities for the church in with those foes. But do you think that there are more now in this sort of, I think the, the volume's been switched up a little bit, hasn't it? So do you think this gives us more opportunity for the church in a time of war like this? I actually think if you do look at history, if you do look at what Lewis says, you wander out the village of your current time and you go into the wider scope of history, you see it's ever been thus. We've always had enemies. We've always had these kinds of uh, problems and difficulties. So, no, I don't think we've got more foes at the moment. I think in the secular West, we've got more public expression of opposition to Christianity compared to what it was 100 years ago. But it is a very uh, different well, no, that, actually, it's not, it's not a very different situation. It's just a different expression. Yeah. Well, look, speaking of different expressions, uh, if um, there was a run on po on podcasting microphones and video equipment about a week and a half ago because yeah. everyone was doing virtual church. Um, so if we are about worship and it's about our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, why can't we just do virtual church and we can sit here podcasting till our heart's content, till Jesus comes back and never see anyone? I mean, I'm an introvert. That sounds great to me. You know? <laughs> I hate it. That's why. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I hate it. And I think my Sabbath should always be a Zoom-free day. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, I, look, this is, the, the modern technology is wonderful. So let me explain it this way. I get to talk to my grandchildren in Scotland, although I live in Australia, and it's wonderful to see their faces and they recognize my voice, and I am so thankful for that. But that is not nearly equivalent to being able to hug them. So an emoji doesn't count as a hug. And, you know, it doesn't? Oh, right. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Sorry, Steve. Um, you know, we just have to do a man hug when we meet up eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing in terms of the virtual church. Um, the church is physical. You know, it used to be that liberals complained about evangelicals, that they take the word incarnate and they turn it into a book. And now what I'm finding is it's liberals who are, are taking the Jesus of the Bible and they're turning him into a computer program. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. It's physical. We have physical sacraments. We greet one another with a holy kiss. We physically get together. Sometimes that's not possible. In the time of COVID-19, it's not possible. But that is an anomaly. That, that's a wrong situation, and we want to get out of that as soon as possible. Yeah, we'd want to make sure of that, that we don't fall into that trap, yeah. don't we? Yeah. I think there are people who look and say, oh, this is brilliant. I'm going to have a blog, and millions of people are going to read this, and everyone's going to be watching things. And, you know, just like millions are listening to this podcast, but everyone else is under an illusion. You know, it's just not going to happen that way, is it? No, no. I mean, this podcast aside, uh, you'll have 100 hits. But, but so in that sense, it's, we are incarnational and the opposite of that is we, we say excarnational. Yeah. We, we don't have anything to do with us, with each other. And here's the incarnational. We, we hug the leper. That, that's how I would put it. That's what the church of worship is. Come see the cross where love and mercy meet As the Son of God is stricken and see his foes 
Lie crushed beneath his feet For the conqueror has risen And as the storm Well, I say never waste a crisis. Uh, what do you think this war, this shaking of the world, will lead to for the church? Will it renew the church? Or will it crush the church? What do you think it's going to do? I, I don't want you to rush over here and, and think that someone's taken over my body because I'm actually going to be quite optimistic on this one. Um, I, I do think this is a real test for the church. And so far, I, I, I've seen things that are really quite encouraging. And, you know, here, here's how I would look at this. See how the shutdown of the economy in many areas, like in China and, and northern Italy, it's kind of cleared the atmosphere. It's cleared the air. It's like Extinction Rebellion. I've got what they want, all just, just almost miraculously. I think shutting down of church conferences and loads of stuff that we're doing, maybe it's just giving us time to get a breather and to think about things. I think our use of technology, despite what I said before, that we can't do virtual church, the church just can't be virtual, yet the use of technology that has been done, for me, has been quite creative. And uh, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think that people praying together over the internet, for example, has been fantastic. So for me... I think the shaking of the world will lead to a shaking of the church. And I think in that shaking, that's God the Father pruning us and helping us. And so for me, it's up time for us to look to Christ, to rise up, to glorify his name. Uh, and I, would, I use the expression, we love people to death, not in an oppressive way, but we love them up to the point of death and lead them over the River Jordan, if you want to put it. Agreed? Yeah, that's a great thing. God doesn't waste a crisis either, I suspect. No, and I, you could even argue that, you know, without being too dramatic, God has permitted or if not engineered this crisis and it's forced us to do things. It's forced us to care for our neighbours. It's forced us to think about what is priority. It, it, it's forced us in some ways to stop mimicking the world. Now, we could waste a crisis. He could allow us to do that. Um, we could get the technology wrong. We could get the idea of church wrong and everything. But I think this is the good thing about this is it's compelling us to rethink what it is to be church. And actually, instead of going away from the Bible, to go back to the Bible, the church is the ecclesia, the, the gathering of the Lord's people. And we're going to rejoice in that gathering all the more. I cannot wait to get back to my physical church. And I don't mean the church building. I mean the people. I mean the gestures. I mean... The, the smiles and the hugs and the not-so-hugs and everything else. That is really what I'm looking for. And God bless all those who are engineers and all those who do the technology. They're part of the church. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, hugging an engineer in church. God bless us all. There's another podcast that I'd really highly recommend, and that is Undeceptions with John Dixon. Uh, for me, I can't describe how much I love this. Every week on Undeceptions, John explores some aspect of life, faith, history, culture, or ethics that's either much misunderstood or mostly forgotten. And he takes on people who are experts, who know what they're talking about, and try to undeceive ourselves and let the truth out. It really is. John is a superb historian. He's a very, very good presenter. It's really well produced. Highly, highly recommended. Go to eternitypodcasts.com for undeceptions.
thanks for entering the third space with us. Coming up next episode, uh, Steve's going to lead us in a discussion on, well, he got to do love and now he gets to do peace because just he's just an old hippie. So, Steve, what are you going to be talking about? That's a good, uh, good way to intro. Uh, peace in wartime. Uh, what does it look like uh, to have peace in wartime? Is it possible? And where does that peace come from? And that's the question we're going to try to answer next time. So until then, goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Well, Third Space is hosted by the worship warrior himself, David Robertson, and uh, me, Mr. Peace and Love, Steve McAlpine, and it's produced by Janelle Miller and edited by Peter Laverock. Third Space is part of the Eternity Podcast Network, an audio collection showcasing the seriously good news of faith today. So head to thirdspace.org.au where you'll find show notes and other stuff related to our episodes and click on to our Facebook page to join in the debate where you'll see Dave covered in war paint. listening to the Eternity Podcast Network, eternitypodcasts.com.au.